Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning again. If you don't know, my name is Jeremy. I get to be one of the pastors here, and we are going to take this morning and uh, think about Jesus is coming, though not kind of Christmas, just that he was revealed, particularly in his baptism. And I want you to think of it this way. Uh, we have some holidays as a nation. What comes to mind as far as our very important, significant American holidays? Fourth of July, right. Christmas, Fourth of July, right? But, those have been set in place and identified as dates that mark central events and people that were significant in the formation of our nation, that give us an identity, that maybe make us grateful for what those men and women did, the sacrifices, that we could have a free, prosperous, just nation. So we need these physical markers, dates on a calendar with certain foods and fireworks or whatever in order to keep us together. And the same thing has often been true in Christianity. I was turned on last spring to a series of novels by a Norwegian woman uh, where she writes of uh, historical fiction in Norway in the 1300s. Norway was pagan up until about year 1000, no Christianity, and then one of their kings, King Olaf, brought uh, Christianity and battled paganism, and uh, it became Christian. One of the remarkable things about these novels is everyone in that country marks their life, their year, their dates and seasons by Christian events. So one of the central characters is getting married and she marked when her marriage is going to be by a celebration of a certain Christian person. And so it was at one time where even Christians didn't mark their year necessarily by national holidays but by Christian ones. Their year was ordered by Christ's birth, Christ's baptism, Christ's temptation in the desert, this or that other Christian event, this or that other Christian person. Now, we don't want to make too much of that. The Bible tells us that one may make dates of certain importance and one may not. It's all right. Just be convinced in your own mind. And yet, there is, in the Bible even, markers set for us of physical nature that remind us of what God has done for us. And those are helpful. We just did one, Christmas. Isn't it very helpful to have an entire season set aside to remember that Jesus came to earth as a man to give us eternal life? That physical celebration and the lights that go with it and the foods and the families and the presents should remind you of the gift of Christ. Well, another one 
that has been celebrated typically in Christianity as epiphany. You ever heard that word before? We've probably heard it as, I've had an epiphany. An epiphany, in that sense, is a thought or an idea that comes to mind that wasn't there before, and it kind of just, bang, out of nowhere, and maybe it's a solution to a problem. I've had an epiphany. Well, that idea actually comes from the time of Christ, the Greek language. Uh, it, it means that something has appeared, something has manifested. It, it was often used uh, to talk about the dawn. When you use the word epiphany, it, it meant that the sun was rising, dawn was appearing. It could mean, in a military sense, an army, an, army, an enemy who just suddenly appears on the horizon. That would be an epiphany, an awakening, a uh oh in first, or 2 Timothy 1.10, we read that our salvation has now been manifested through the epiphany, the appearance of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and has brought life and immortality light through the gospel. Now when the church celebrated epiphany, it was usually the first Sunday in January and it usually focused on Christ's baptism. Because at Christ's baptism, as you'll see in a moment, it was the clear revelation that this man being baptized by John the Baptist wasn't just a man, but the Son of God. And that He came to give us His Holy Spirit. It identified Him very clearly as more than just a man. He is the appearing of God in the flesh. So that's what we're going to look at. I want us to see Christ. And we're going to read in a, two places. We're going to read in Matthew 3 and in John 1. So if you would turn there. We'll first start in Matthew 3 and Jesus' baptism there. And then we'll look at what John says about Jesus' baptism. So uh, Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17, and then John 1, 29 to 34. So first we'll begin in John 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now if you would flip over to John 1, beginning at verse 29. John 1, 29 to 34. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, this is John the Baptist, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. 
But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. All right, let's pray. Father, teach us now with our entire heart, with our entire being, to receive your word. Teach us to observe it like the dawn that rises before it. May your words come before our eyes and that we see them fully. And so God, do work in us, please. We know that you're near, that your word is true because you have founded them forever. And so help us to receive your eternal word with faith now. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever seen a God With your own eyes, I mean. Have you ever beheld the divine being? What if you did, <clears throat> if you beheld God, what would you think you'd see? Kids, what do you think you'd see? If you beheld an eternal divine God, what do you think you'd see? Well, maybe one thing you'd think you'd see is like Mount Sinai. Thunder and lightning and quaking and terror. It'd be too awesome for you to want to see. But here, we see John the Baptist and others seeing the eternal divine God. And what did they see? Not much. In fact, John says, I didn't, I didn't see him. I didn't know him. Not, not I myself. He looked just like a man. He was born very humbly to a peasant girl, young girl, a virgin, in a very quiet place, an out-of-the-way place. And so it was necessary, and God in love did it, to give us indications, signs, that that man born in those humble circumstances was infinitely more than just a man. He's the Son of God, eternal, sent to save us. Now, John the Baptist, he, he's got a nickname there, right? John the Baptist. Do you have a nickname? One of our elders has a nickname, Crotchety Old Man. You wonder if you know which one that is. Do you? You don't. You think you know. It's not him. John's nickname was the Baptist. Why? He says in John 1.31, For this purpose I came baptizing. God sent him to baptize. Now, he was baptizing regular people to teach them that there was a Savior coming and that the reason He was coming is because they were full of wickedness. So it was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism preparing them to humble them to identify that they were born in Adam. That they were dead. And that there was one coming. But He was also baptizing, we read in John 1.31, in order to reveal who that one was who was coming to save them. For this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed. 
And so here's a purpose for this man, one purpose, in one moment, and then he was done. He came to baptize one baptism in order to reveal one man. That was it. That was his purpose on earth. And so John the Baptist testified, when he baptized Jesus, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. So in Matthew's Gospel, we read that when Jesus was baptized, immediately he came up out of the water, the heavens were open. I don't know what that looked like, we can't understand exactly, but the realm of heaven, the dwelling place of God, not just the sky, but the heavens, the, the, the universe, the dimension was opened. And the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, we don't know if that was actually a literal, tangible, regular dove or some appearance, but it, He came down, descending like a dove, and rested on Him. So heaven, God in heaven was confirming with a clear sign to the last prophet, John the Baptist, that this man is the promised one by the heavens opening and the Spirit of God descending and remaining on him. Now this should be helpful to you because the heavens, heaven is closed to you and of yourself, isn't it? There, there's no entrance for us. We were created in the garden in intimate fellowship with God And then God removed us from His presence because of our sin. And He barred the way back in with terrifying angelic beings. You know in of yourself, in your own guilt and in your own shame, that you have no standing before God. The last thing you should want in of yourself is to appear before God. Because He is holy. And you are not. He dwells in unapproachable light. And when the heavens open to Jesus, it is signifying to us that there is a way to God now. And it's through this man being baptized. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, it is signifying to us again that we can be brought back into intimate fellowship with God We can receive God's Spirit through this man being baptized. So this is what John the Baptist is testifying to here. I myself did not know him, John said. That is, in his flesh, and of himself, he couldn't recognize Jesus even. But he who sent me, that is, the Father, God in heaven, sent me to baptize, said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That is, This is He who will give you the third member of the Trinity, the third person, the Spirit, who alone can bring you eternal life in Christ. It's through Christ. And so God is graciously giving us a sign here. This is the main sign in the Bible that salvation, access to God, entrance into heaven, forgiveness of sins, new life, rebirth is only through Christ. So have you seen God? 
We have. By faith. It is only by faith. If we believe this testimony of John, if we receive this as God's Word sent to confirm to us that salvation, forgiveness of sins, removal of our guilt, reconciliation to God, if we believe this testimony that it's in this man Jesus who was baptized and upon whom the Spirit rested, then we've seen God by faith. And what do we see of Him? We see that He is the kind of God who sends His only Son and opens heaven to us. We see mercy. We see unthinkable kindness. We see that we need Him. So like in marriage, where we read that you leave father and mother and cleave, so with Christ we would be willing to lose everything else if we could cleave to Him. That's what we're seeing. One of such significance and goodness and worth that you should learn to despise everything else if you have Him. That's what John saw there. That's what he's telling you. That's what this season of Epiphany is for. To remind you again that Christ is like a treasure hidden in a field. That it'd be worth selling everything to get Him. Because He alone is the Son of God. He alone is the one that we can have the Spirit by. He alone is the entrance into heaven. Now doesn't that shame you? Because what did you do all last week but desire everything else but Him? I was talking with a pastor just before Christmas and I was asking him how it's going in his life and in his marriage and so on and he said something that took me aback. He said, I, the older I get, the more I realize how little I love Jesus. The older I get, the more I realize how little I love Jesus. This is a pastor. What did he mean? He meant that all that he has is only from God's goodness and grace. There's nothing in him. He means that he's more aware the older he is of how sinful he is and how disinclined in himself he is to love God. He's learning to be dissatisfied with him so that he can find satisfaction in Christ only. He's learning what John learned when he baptized Jesus. I myself didn't know him. He's confessing his sin there. I, the last prophet of the Old Testament, the one that Jesus said among men is greater than all, I didn't even know him. I had no love for him within myself. I had no recognition of his goodness and eternal nature and holiness. I despised him. I didn't see anything in him. God revealed him to me. And I'm testifying to you. This is the one. Love him. Give all things for him. Despise everything else. It's nothing in comparison to him. And you don't, do you? Do you? Do you love him? Do you remember any time this past week where you just sat back and went, my God, 
I love you. Not once did you this whole week, did we? How much did you neglect his word? How much did we pray? Why? Because we just don't see much in him. And yet here he is, held out to us. Again, reminded, this is the Son of God. Heaven is open only through Him. New life in His Spirit, ongoing eternal life by His Spirit is available only in Him. Do you see Him like that? How about teens? Did you have any love for Him this week? It's just not in us, is it? We need God's grace. Well, one of the things that's helpful as you consider these kind of Christian holidays is that they're given us to remind ourselves again of the worth and goodness and trust we can have in Christ no matter what we're going through in this world. And uh, Christians in past ages have consistently thought to tell the truth about who Jesus is against errors even within the church so that our faith in Christ might be firmly in the truth of who He is. We sang this morning a creed. Do you like that song? I loved it. I very much enjoy that song. Singing truth, but singing in a way that raises my heart it's the, the Apostles' Creed, basically. Why was the Apostles' Creed written? When was it written? Do you know? It wasn't written by the Apostles. It was written by those that the Apostles ministered to. It was written by their spiritual children. And it was written by them as a summary of the biblical teaching of the Apostles so that when... Roman pagans were converted to Christianity, they could teach them a memorable summary of what it means to be a Christian. Particularly meant to be used when somebody was about to be baptized in order to provide them a period of training and teaching and they would do it around this creed. We believe. What do we believe? Well, we believe that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see that here, don't we? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, we believe that. That is, to be a Christian is to believe this by faith that God is one and God is three. Here's how the Athanasian Creed. Have you ever heard that word? Athanasian Creed? Kids, look it up. You like to look on the internet, right? And you beg your parents, hey, can I go on the internet? Well, here's a good use. Say, mom and dad, can I go on the internet and search Athanasius or the Athanasian Creed? Be worth your time. The Athanasian Creed was written by Christians who were battling against errors about who Jesus was, particularly those who didn't think Jesus is divine. They were trying to maintain that there's only one God and they thought if Jesus is God, then that means there's two gods. 
And so they were so trying to defend that God is one that they were denying that Jesus is God, which is a lie. So that creed was written to explain how can it be that God is one and God is three. And here's how they said it. Listen to this. Whoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. Now the word Catholic there, don't freak out. Take a breath. It doesn't mean what you think it means. It means this is the Christian faith. This is, the, this is what real Christians believe. That's what they mean by the word Catholic. He says, and the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. There is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Ghost uncreated. Anyways, it goes through the Trinity. That is, whoever will be saved, it is necessary to hold to this, that we worship one God who is triune. What they were battling is the error that you can be a Christian and deny that teaching. You can't. They were trying to guard the sheep against errors. They were trying to guard the sheep against believing things that were not biblical that would take them from eternal life by writing these things. Here's another thing that they say. Furthermore, it is necessary to everlasting salvation that he also believe rightly in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the right faith is that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man. God of the substance of the Father, begotten before the world, and man of the substance of his mother, born in the world, perfect God and perfect man. And then at the end they say this, this is the Catholic faith, which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. This is what John the Baptist is doing. He is giving us a creed. He is saying that if you don't believe that this man that I just baptized is the Son of God, sent by God as the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, you cannot be saved. Which means there is such a thing as salvation and there is such a thing as damnation. Now that's a weird word, isn't it? We don't talk like that anymore. What we mean is there is eternal life with God and eternal death apart from God. There is unthinkable pleasure and joy in the presence of God forever through Christ and unthinkable pain and misery apart from the presence of God in hell. This is the Catholic faith, which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. I wonder if that even concerns you. Does that even concern you? Does that make you tremble at all? That you need salvation? And that, that you need eternal life? And that what the Holy Spirit is telling us in this Scripture is that, see that guy? That's the Son of God. He's always existed. Everything in the world was made through him. And God has sent him into the world like a lamb to be slaughtered to take away our sin. 
their salvation in that guy. See him? You're seeing God. See him? You're seeing one that can bring you to heaven. See him? You see him? So we learn a few things real quick there. This is going to sound so common that you might be bored with it, but don't. There's no salvation in you. Our world, if there's one main underlying creed to the world system, it is that all that matters is you, the individual. You're in of yourself divine. Whatever truth you as an individual believe, that's true. It's all, it's all about remaining faithful to you. The individual is like God. When God's Son came into the world, it came to destroy that idea. There's nothing good in you. Wicked man that I am, who will save me from this flesh? When God sent his son of the world, he came to say to you, there's only salvation in him. The heavens open to him and not to you. All truth is found in him and not in you. When heaven proclaimed over the son, when the father proclaimed over the son, this is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased at saying, these are not my beloved children. There is no pleasing in them. But if you come to him, then we become his children in whom the Father is well pleased because he is our righteousness. Now, what's so attractive about Christ here is how humble he is. Isn't that sweet? When he comes to John and John said, you come to me? I need to be baptized by you. Now, what would you say there? Yeah. yeah. Right. right. I made you, John. Your cells are functioning because of me. Every meal you've ever eaten, I've given you. <laughs> You're right. What did Jesus say? No. In order that I might be salvation for you and any else that would come to me, I need to be baptized by you. His humility is so attractive. It's beautiful. He's not like you at all. He is not uh, proud. He's humble. He is the one in whom alone salvation is found. He is also your new beginning. When John identifies that the Spirit of God descended on him and remained on him. Where else in the Bible do you have the imagery of the Holy Spirit as hovering, descending? Where does that take your mind back to? Yeah, Genesis 1, right? Creation. The beginning. New life on the earth. 
So what is being said here of Jesus is that in Jesus there is a new beginning. The Spirit of God is available through Him and you can get a new start. You can have new life in Him. Now that's true in the fullest sense. That when you come to Christ, you are given God's Spirit. That, that, that you are made new. The old is gone, the new has come. But I, I don't want your mind to go there, mainly. I want your mind to go to those places in your life that you are sick of, that are the reasons for your misery often, or your depression, or your hatred of yourself or others, or your anger, and realize that in Christ, newness is available in that thing. Might be your marriage. You've just kind of reduced to you live with this person and you tolerate each other, but there's no real love anymore. And you've just resigned yourself, maybe for decades, to that. Just the way it is. I'm going to go out to my shop because I can't stand being around her in the house. I'm going to build my life with my girlfriends because I can't stand being around him. And you just said, I'm just going to live like that. Because you don't see in Jesus any possibility of new start there. Could be with a child of yours. Could be in a particular sin that you've struggled with. And you've kind of walled that off to Christ. What you've done is you've tried to say, I want to worship Jesus, but not here. Access everywhere, Jesus, but not there. Or there, or there, or there, or there. So he's Lord, but not really. He's Savior, but not really. He's the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, but not really. Not my sin. It may be just that you're very stubborn and never admit that you're wrong. You always want others to admit they're wrong, but not you. Because Jesus is their Lord, but not mine. Their Savior, not mine. This is what John is showing us. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who makes all things new. I don't think you really see Jesus until you see Him in that place that you don't want to see Him. Do you know what I mean? And the place that you don't want Him to see is the place that you don't want anybody else to see. That you keep hidden. Because you're a liar. Like me. We don't want him access there. Now you never say anything like that, do you? Because we're too good at Christians. So help us. That's what we're crying to him. Just help me there, please. So let's ask his help now. Let's pray. Father, please help us to see in your Son this grace, this mercy, this compassion, this seeing of our needs such that he comes 
with all that's necessary to heal us, to forgive us, to make us new in all those areas that we don't want anybody else to see. Father, may we see in him the kind of help and power that we would yield to him. Would you bring somebody into our lives who would love us enough to point this out and to do it in a way that we might be humble enough to receive it? God, we thank you for the areas you've done that in and we ask for more of it. Please, make us more fully unified before you, honest, humble. And so God, help us to behold your son in those areas that we don't want to behold him. Please, God, give us this mercy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.